Lina, welcome to the Commerce Talks podcast. Today, another episode about the e-commerce industry in GCC. So um, many people have told you it's like uh, we should be very, very honored having you on the show because uh, you're regularly uh, a guest on different um, keynote stages in, in the region, uh, sharing the story of your business. But please tell us, who are you and what are you exactly doing with Mums World? Hi, Alex. Um, so who am I? So I'm really at the basic, a mom of three children, a very, very um, close in age. And I struggled as a parent, just changing from a career woman to a mother. And I had a lot of very lows and very difficult days in the first six months of being a mom. And I continued to struggle. You know, fast forward, I had the opportunity to be part of launching Mom's World and delivering this amazing solution to all the moms in the region having moved to the Middle East in 2008 and seeing that being a mom in London is really hard. Being a mom in the Middle East with no English is even impossible. So delivering that platform that had information in Arabic product to a very, very product-hungry region and the community so moms don't feel as lonely and don't find it as hard as I did when I became a mom. So... um Just bringing those two elements of my life have made sure that I had a very, very rich experience, you know, starting up Mom's World and being and trying to be a mom at the same time to these three now teenagers who I love dearly, but I think they fired me for the next two to three years till they go to university. Yeah. Okay, and and how was it like it took, do you you found it like it in 2011. How was the e-commerce industry? Yeah. So because like all the e-commerce businesses founded in London or Berlin in 2011, they were like embedded in a very very uh, vivid ecosystem. So lots of online marketing competences were around, technology was available, warehouses you could rent. So what was it in Dubai in 2011? So we actually launched regionally. We launched in six countries within a year. Um, and we launched our Arabic within a few months of launching our English version. But um, what we found is, one, the understanding of the need of the market, although a lot of our consumers were on Amazon, we're buying globally, we're doing shop and ship, the understanding in the market that e-commerce is here to stay wasn't there. So partners weren't ready to partner, suppliers didn't want to work with us. Deliveries, like Last mile delivery companies were still doing um, parcels and doing letters. And, you know, for them, delivering a credit card was a lot more lucrative than a parcel. Like a... So you had to explain. You almost like had to run workshops to explain to people why they need to provide you with a service. And many of the services that we use, we built it with our partners. And we continue to do that. So a lot of the routes that we use, a lot of the type of service we use for a consumer... We're building it with the partner, whether they're a, you know, um, delivery partner or a product partner or even a marketing partner. Because in the early days, online marketing solutions in the region were non-existent. You have to advertise in forums, which weren't very reliable. And our reputation is at the core of what we do. And where we appear is very important because moms need to trust someone when they're going through this very, very difficult journey. And we are that trusted go-to platform. So making sure that we're advertised and communicated in a very streamlined way was very important. But in the early days, the only thing you could find in Arabic was forums that were not reliable. 
so these were the mommy communities. The only way you could de- get things delivered is trying to convince the big players to move away from delivering credit cards and uh, documents to parcels. And yet not all the routes were available. COD was something that was very badly done. COD is very prevalent in the region. So the service for COD was almost non-existent. So we had to design a lot of that with our um, suppliers. And I remember there is a supplier who continuously apologizes still today that when he first met us, he didn't take us seriously. And now we're a very big part of his business. Okay. And, and can you tell us a bit more about the competitive landscape and how, how it changed? Because I remember like in the early 2010s in, in Europe, there have been like a lot of um, yeah, baby stores opened up like in, in Berlin. Thousand Kind, I think, was started like with the goal to become like a European leader in this area. Very similar like to Mum's World. And just yesterday, there was an announcement of like one of the biggest um, toy retailers in uh, uh, in 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 the Dutch region just went bank bankrupt because they, so they somehow lost the game against Amazon. So nobody was really able to grab enough um, enough market share in their niche to really be like the number one go to side uh, when it comes to mums um, uh, mums articles. So uh, how how was this? changing or how, how was the picture in in the gcc region so and that i mean in the early days it wasn't the consumer we're trying to convince it was more the ecosystem and now it's a little bit more crowded but still the consumer is overwhelmed with information there's way too much product way too much information out there and being a vertical that's specialized and really focused on delivering a, a very clear message a very trusted message continues to be something people want. You know, there is a lot of very successful verticals in Europe that are doing amazing. The question is, are they able to build the financial model that sustains them? And um, just in Europe, I think that's becoming more and more difficult because it's becoming more expensive to operate as a business. So it's not only online retailers or baby retailers that are struggling in Europe, but in, in general, I think all retailers, there's a lot of bankruptcies, a lot of the... UK High Street, I'm very familiar with the UK High Street, has disappeared. Some of my favorite names growing up are no longer in existence. So I think it's more of an economical um, issue for Europe and the US, but I think it's still a great place to work. The Middle East is a very attractive place to work, a great place to set up your business, and there's still opportunity. And we are really seeing that. And the consumer in the Middle East is very digital, They they love their devices and people have more than one device. And most online commerce, whether it's social commerce or e-commerce, it's part and parcel of everybody's daily life. So we see that we are streamlining the experience for the mom and giving her that trust she needs, whereas horizontals can't do that. Because in a horizontal, you're overwhelmed with the choices and you don't know which one to trust. And that will always be the case. And you see that also that in skincare and things that are very particular that really touch the consumer, people want a vertical specialized experience rather than a very generalistic experience. What What do you think of the market share um, of in, in your segment when it comes to the, or what is the channel share for for your segment online versus offline? So is it, oh, is it like above 25% already? Mum's um, article bought online versus offline or it's still like a, retail dominated area so we just to kind of take your question and focus on mom's world we play in about 12 categories going from 
home toys, outdoor, all the way to bottle feeding. And if you look globally, there are some in the baby industry, there are some of these categories that are at 60%, which is amazing. And then there are others with like apparel where people still want to go and shop offline. So if you take an average, I would say we're at the 25% mark. But the heavier items that consumers absolutely do not want to carry home, you know, the numbers are in the high 50s. And is there like a big difference between uh, your core markets are uh, are UAE and Saudi, if I understand correctly? So, if like is there like a big difference in the different regions? So, is like the adaptation rate in in uh, Kuwait very different from 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 Saudi versus Dubai? The type of consumer is different from Dubai because Dubai is a very international hub. So, Dubai is not a representation of the region because it's dominated by people from all all walks of life. You know, we have a big Asian representation, a big European representation, even a big African representation. But in the rest of the GCC, it's dominated by locals who are Kuwaitis, Saudis. Their first language in, is in Arabic. So their behavior online is very different to an expat, and the brands they recognize are also very different. So we we need to accommodate for that. And you can see the behavior. Some of the very trusted brands in Scandinavia are loved in Europe, in Dubai, but they're, they're not as well known in the rest of the GCC. And it really depends on the brand positioning in that Arabic-speaking market. And what, what, where do the other brands come from? So obviously, I'm from the northern part of Germany and know all these Scandinavian brands. Uh, I was really happy to get rid okay. of all the stuff like when the kids were old enough, to be to be very honest. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, you know, we are, everybody has like this uh, stocker chairs, for example, which I think you will find like in 50% of all European households with with kids. So where are like other, are the other popular brands are coming like from the region or is it like more international brands, brands from France? So what kind of brands are, are popular? So that's really it. I mean, the stocky chair is going to really help me explain my point. So I had a stocky chair. I had three kids and it stayed with me till my baby was 12 and it lasted. And the reason I bought it was I wanted one that will live with me throughout all of my children. And actually, it moved with me in four countries. So fantastic product, expensive product, and needs a lot of marketing to explain to the consumer why you want that investment. So this notion that I'm going to hand down or keep an item through generations or through... So this concept is not there yet. And you see it in a lot of the, the greater Asia, like keeping items from one generation to another is not part of the culture. Whereas in Europe, there's a big part of the culture where, oh, I still have the items my mom gave me. People like to keep heirloom, but not in the region and certainly not in India. And I don't see that in China either. So then the choice of product is different. So you're not buying the product because it's going to last. You buy it either because it's an innovation, the price is right, and you trust the name somehow. So you, you open yourself up to a bigger basket of products coming from New Zealand or the US or China because you're actually, your criteria is different, whereas all Scandinavian brands lead with quality. Mm. Okay. And and how like can you can you share some numbers about your business? I know you've uh, you've sold uh, the business to uh, to the Tamer Group. I, I don't recall the name hundred yeah. percent. Like in twenty twenty one, but is there like any official numbers you can share with us? So we just to recap on that, we did sell our business to the largest pharmaceutical uh, business in the region, and they're a very forward thinking group that basically are looking at how retail is transforming in the region and how consumers are going to access products. And one of the key 
things they're trying to solve for is availability because that's the, we, we remain a, a region that has an availability issue. I don't understand how because we have some of the best ports and airports in the world, but they are out to solve that problem. Um, just in terms of data, I mean, our holding company is a $2.5 billion company with access to every single, um, let's just say, person in Saudi because they supply 30% of all the medicines in Saudi. Mumsworld, if you look closely at Mumsworld itself, we reach 3 million moms in the region, predominantly Arabic speakers. And uh, most of our moms are spending quite a large amount. So our basket size are, you know, depending on the country, between 100 to $150 which by global standards, that's pretty strong um, in the region. One, people have more kids here. People are um, very generous in terms of what they spend for their kids because, you know, the children are the center of the family. And uh, it's an affluent society. And, and how, how, what is the average, like, kids per f how many kids per family do you have? Like, in Europe, we are, like, dropping below 1.5 or so, I, uh, I, th I think. What is the yeah. number in, in the region? I think the average is close to two. Okay. I don't, I think, it, yeah, it's actually dropping as well, but I'm seeing, I'm seeing a reverse in the UK. So I'm seeing that people are moving back to three kid families. I'm maybe in the big um, cities they are. So there's a lot of people moving back. And I think the number stabilized in the UK. And I believe that it will stabilize in the Middle East. So I think that there is a, um, a trend, a downward trend at the moment, but I think we will see a stabilization because. If you look at the culture and how people plan, the whole community still plans around children. It's not as individualistic as the rest of the world. The, the businesses I know from Europe in your category, they, they always, um, they always um, uh, face the challenge that uh, they, they had like a um, determined life, customer lifetime span. Because obviously when the kid is like from zero to 10, you have like a very intense like buying behavior. But after that, it was hard for them or hard for the for the uh, uh, e-commerce businesses to retain somehow a relationship because obviously your assortment is not relevant anymore in, when you're becoming like a teen, teenager. Have you solved this problem or this challenge or is it not relevant yet? So if I compare myself to some of the leaders in Germany and then in the US, the difference we do is we really focus on assortment. So I think we talk about that our assortment is the biggest in the world in mother, baby, and child. So we're at 300,000 SKUs. We have an assortment that spans the leading brands in New Zealand, in Australia, in China, in Europe. So we are really, really looking. One, we, we lead with innovation. We're always looking for the next big idea. We're not limiting our SKU size. So we're not saying, oh, only 20,000 SKUs. And a lot of what we do is this looking at the stages of a mother's life and growing with her. Yes, we are very strong during the pregnancy, the birth, and the first two years, but we do grow our assortment to grow with the mom. And we have a lot of initiatives basically to allow us to grow with the mom. But one of the things, I think one of the points just to add there that's interesting is a lot of non-parents use us. And one of the things I found really interesting when I interviewed them, like, why are you using Mumbo? Basically, people said, because our skincare range is so big, and this is something we focus on, and they trust baby skincare because, for example, their erythrocytes or they have sensitive skin, and they're like, you know, we know that if we come here and we buy the products that you, you put for babies, our skin will be safe as well. 
So it's an, because the assortment is so big, it's solving and it's solving problems. Those problems could be shared for people who are parents and people who are not parents. And and when you're 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 still CCO and you're look, looking forward and trying to think about okay how what is the next level of scale? There's like from my point of view, like like there's there's like two options to go. Obviously, you can even go broader on the assortment side and get like another two hundred three hundred thousand like moving into more marketplace uh, um, uh, uh, business model. Maybe we can talk about the business model itself in a bit. Um, and then the other version, obviously, is to uh, break out new domains and starting like the um, skincare.com whatever domain and put like, I don't know, 2,000 skincare products in there. And then you can start like your li little niches. All, all, this was a strategy very popular like five, six, seven years ago. So, but like with 300,000 SKUs, obviously, there's enough room to build more specialized niches, um, um, I would say. How, how do you think about that? Spot on. I mean, the two, whether the, I think what you didn't touch on is basically the country expansion. So in expanding into other geographies, so you have the product expansion, the specialization, and then the country expansion. We're, we're actively looking all three. We do the vertical expansion all the time. So we look at consumer behavior, consumer searches, what people are looking for, what people come to us, and we become better at that. So we become the go-to in that vertical. So even if it's like, you know, cleaning your nose, if you need to clean a baby's nose, they should be only one place you go to find what you need that should be mom's world. And I'm using that very specific example because that's how granular we go. So we look at every single problem you have and we try to solve it. And we want to have the widest range at the biggest price point for you to be able to solve your problem. And every year we pick 10 or 20 that we focus on. Some are small and some are very big. And this year, hopefully, we'll have a very big announcement in terms of a vertical we're launching. The other the, the other thing we do is country expansion. And we do that, um, you know, we do smaller countries. We're about to also launch in some of the larger Middle Eastern countries. And that's another avenue of expansion. Expanding the SKUs is just part of what we do. And a, a vertical launch, just like for, uh, for, for for understanding it right, vertical launch means like a new product vertical on the existing website, so within the domain space, or does vertical launch mean like new website, new domain? So historically, when we, like 12 months ago, we launched Home on, on the same domain, and now Home is a big part of what we do. I mean, Home is not core to uh, mother, baby, and child, but we've added it on because of what we saw in consumer behavior. Going forward, no, we're going to launch uh, domains that are, you know, stand up on their own two feet and they, they have their own customer base. I think one of the things that we found we're very good at is finding the consumer journey and designing an experience for that consumer journey. So basically saying, okay, we're going to address a different consumer journey than the mother is something that we believe we can do very well because we understand how to look at that data and break down their experience and give them products they need and an experience they need for that journey. Uh, okay, and, and, and the um, and the expansion in your country, so um, so first when I read about your business, I thought, I thought okay, you were like a, a first mover, you were obviously, <laughs> and expanded very quickly into new countries. Now for me, it seems like e-commerce, even on a global scale, it seems to be saturated somehow that like the old days um, uh, um, growth tactics don't work anymore. So even if you go to, right. I don't know, let's uh, let's say um, MENA region, Egypt, so it could be like a country for, for your expansion uh, plans, there must be many e-commerce businesses already trying to tackle uh, this niche. 
do you do your experience is very different? So is my view like too, too wrong? So I wish I could say yes, it's really crowded, and you know the consumer can find everything they need. But unfortunately, we still regionally have a very big supply chain problem, and the more um, specialized you your needs are, the less you have in terms of choice. So we were actually counting number of strollers available in Egypt. It's shocking. It's very shocking. Um, what what number was the result you came up with? Well, something something less than twenty. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, like an Egypt yeah. mom today does not have like the same kind of product supply like a mom in Dubai. Yeah, I mean, not even. I think even in some countries that you would think that doesn't have such a great supply chain, they have a better supply chain. Some of the Middle Eastern countries. You have to remember. We had the Arab Street, the spring, and then we had a lot of political unrest. And so a lot of these countries are building up after. So we're still building. Fair. We're not in a mature economy stage, which is the rest of the world. Okay, got it. And then I understand like vertical expansion, uh, geographically expansion, product rate, uh, uh, product range expansion. What about like the, the business model expansion, moving away from the standard retail business model where you are kind of owning all inventory risk, like buy all the stocker inventory you need, put it into your warehouses and you, your product margin is actually kind of what drives your uh, the business result into a more marketplace model where you say, okay, dear, dear stocker manager, um, I can sell whatever you want. It's just like I, I give you like the, the 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 template, the front the front end, and I charge like Amazon like twenty percent of every um, of every sale. And you just give me some money for uh, for driving your marketing campaigns, which seems to be like the model all the big retailers are moving into because of the success of Amazon. So we launched. We actually launched with that. So. Although you cannot see that we're a marketplace, we don't stock all our SKUs. There's no way we can, you know, we're not Amazon. We're not going to have 300,000 SKUs sitting in our warehouse. So we do apply multiple models. So, you know, we, we do, you know, delivered by, you know, the delivered by Amazon, the whole consignment idea. We definitely have a marketplace and we do our own stuff. So we do everything. But the idea is the model varies depending on the service level we want to deliver to the consumer. So we always measure the performance. Like if this marketplace model is delivering a bad service for the consumer because it's not delivering in time, we are represented and our, the trust in the brand is impacted. So therefore, we will switch it to another model to improve the customer experience. Either you know, for the season, if it's Christmas, we'll switch the toy suppliers to in-stock just because we want the consumer to have a better experience. Because at the end of the day, people don't come to us only for availability, which they come to Amazon for. People come to us for trust and a streamlined experience because they don't want a headache. But that, this leads also to a setup where you cannot allow third-party vendors from, let's say, China to just list products, which is the case in Amazon and she, uh, no, not Shein, but Alibaba, uh, because... They obviously, there's no quality gateway within the Amazon marketplace. And I understand, so every product you are selling, there was kind of a quality assurance process where people kind of touch the product, tested it, get like the, all the, all, all the security material, uh, material about the product that is part of your business still. Yeah. And even if, I mean, we do have sellers out of China, but we do have a gateway in China that checks that so we don't onboard. We don't onboard you as a business. We check your product. And it's, 
It's kind of what you said, but that doesn't stop us from sourcing globally. So we are sourcing from everywhere and we're sourcing just in time from multiple geographies. What, what we're also hearing from many retailers is that they are moving away from very, very aggressive online marketing tactics, winning new uh, customers or spending lots of money on Facebook, Instagram, Google, so whatever platform is re relevant in your region, focusing more on the CRM system, trying to nurture better, trying to get more personalized emails out, creating WhatsApp group for the top 100 customers, creating VIP shopper services where people just can call and then maybe a person comes to your home, brings you like the full stocker assortment and then uh, you take whatever area you want. So um, how do you see it? Is like standard online marketing still working in your case or do you also need to move into more CRM-focused area? Okay, um, just so this doesn't become an advert for Stocky, I'm going to switch to Bugaboo. Yeah, yeah, go. Bugaboo is also, yeah, it's okay. It's, Bugaboo is fine. It's, it's, Bugaboo, uh, uh, it's Bugaboo a popular brand also in, in the region or Dubai also? It's, a, it's, it's like, you know, if you talk about the the top five brands, you know, if you say Gucci, Chanel and Baby, it's probably one of those. Okay. It's the equivalent in Baby. Oh, yeah, nice. It's very popular and, and the awareness is big, but Stocky as well. And there's a couple of brands that have that awareness. Yeah. These um, are the two brands that came up to my mind too when I when I came up with baby brands with Wastoki and Bagaboo. But let's take the Bagaboo example. Okay. Yeah. So hyper personalization. As one example. Again, we're designing a journey. So hyper personalization is really important. Yes. We are limited by the technology we have and we're not moving like as a as a leadership team, we're not moving as fast as we'd like. There's a lot more personalization coming. There's a new launch of some tools coming up for the consumer. But in terms of having a WhatsApp group, we've had a WhatsApp group for our consumers, I think, from 2016. And the reason why we did that was because social commerce is very big in the region. So I still buy off Instagram as a person. I still go to someone who told me about someone who has an Instagram account, and I buy very specialized things like You know, Ramadan creates specialized items. I'll still do social commerce. And the so consumer is very comfortable interacting with you on WhatsApp through your Instagram account and talking to a person. It's part of the social uh, construct in this region. And and the spend on social commerce is big. So we, we do that. Um, but I think let's just step back from the tactical part and just look at what are the prime pillars of Monswell. So if you look at the prime pillars of Monswell, it's product content and community and community is super important for us in the early days we didn't spend a lot of money on marketing because we didn't have money but there was the founders money and then we had friends and family and we didn't actually have a very big budget and the way we addressed that was really going very strong on community working with schools and nurseries working with mothers and who are trusted in the community and we still do that we work with hundreds of moms in the community basically creating small hubs around them. These moms are content creators or just general trusted mom to other moms congregate around them. And we deliver our message to them through the, these groups. So they, they, they're like pods in the community. We, we build on information and support through the community group. Oh, okay. So um, if social is, is working well, um, do you have like, then a, a team focusing on like just social communication, like on Instagram, where some top customers um, and in moving even further, 
what is then the role of the influencers of the regions? Do you have like a lot of mum bloggers uh, uh, there, which you need, which, yeah. you, which which you need to give free bugaboos? No, I think bugaboos do that on their own. They're really active. They love giving free bugaboos. By the way, not that we should advertise that, but we did a campaign with them at Burj Khalifa. That was a lot of fun. Where they, you know, you had the launch of bugaboo with Burj Khalifa and all the influencers. Um, yes, yeah, I mean influencers are here to stay. People. Tr uh, you know, follow an influencer because she reflects or, you know, highlights something in them. So they connect with her better than they do with a website or a shop. And it's all about establishing that personal connection. And motherhood is super, super lonely. And I think going back to that, if you're on your own learning in a, in a university course where you're the only student and you have to self-teach and you have an exam every day, it's super lonely. So just having that plate where you look and you see that someone figured it out and, hey, this is how they figured out my problem. It, it's a lovely connection. And mothers are very vulnerable and they need it. So basically giving those influencers who are good in communicating, who represent the values we represent, the information and the products that they can, they can bring home the idea quicker to the consumer, we definitely engage in that and we engage in that scale. But is it is it still affordable? Because like the more successful influencers, they uh, I know or the the industry I, I I read about, they're trying to come up with their own brand. They try to create their own stocker chair, for example, instead of like being the influencer for a brand like Bugaboo or, or Stocker. Or the other extreme is they become like super expensive. Like for every Instagram story, they'd like to charge like ten. $10,000 dollars uh, or whatever. So the return on invest obviously becomes even worse compared to the traditional auction-based trends like Facebook and Google. Do you already see or experience this in, in your market or it's still kind of working for you? So some of the most expensive influences, I think, are Middle Eastern-based. Because if you see that the, the usage of TikTok and Snapchat, I mean, not Instagram, is very, very big here. And They're now representing global brands. And if you look at Sephora's campaigns, global campaigns, five out of 10 are Middle Eastern influencers. So if you look at the billboard of Sephora, it's actually someone from the region. So they're actually, because they're commanding such high prices, I think they're having to use them in multiple geographies just to um, justify the amount of money they have to pay. One of the things that we find, because we're specialized and because we're serving a very particular audience and it means a lot you know a mom helping a mom when I was going through motherhood and learning all that difficult stuff and I had the lactation consultant because I didn't know how to breastfeed and I went into hospital I don't know how many times because I couldn't figure out the right milk for my daughter it was depressing but when I got out of it I wanted to help other moms and I think if you look at the community of moms whether they're influencers or just normal moms on the street or professional women The, the want to give back is very big. So being involved in a mother community is something like a, a cause. Um, so we have a lot of these amazing influencers who actually work with us. Okay, they make money, but you feel like it's a cause. And when they explain a stroller or they explain a product, they're doing it because they struggle to understand it. And they understand how difficult it is for a new mom who's overwhelmed, who, who didn't sleep, who probably didn't eat. And they, they basically want to connect with her because that gives them a lot of value for themselves. 
And and did this also translate into more in this kind of um, in this model with um, I'm just trying to f to find the brand brand name selling it. Uh, there are like a lot of brands selling at home where you have to bring like your uh, your merchandise and then they, there's a group group of friends sitting around your thermo mix whatever and then you learn about how to use this device. And I think like the because the uh, mom community is like so active and like they trust each other like with what what how to do stuff how to breastfeed what kind of products to use is this something that that uh, that you you have moved in or you have tried out to establish kind of this not as a sales channel but as a community channel saying there's like a super mom in in Dubai and she's getting like ten percent uh, discount or getting like five percent of all the all the uh, revenue she pushes in her network. Uh, she's getting back because that that definitely would work in that in that area. That that's quite interesting. We do a lot of offline events, and we today we are participating in a hospital, educating expecting moms about certain products or what's available to solve their issues. And we have a big team there, so we're participating in big events, and we invite some of those, let's say, kind of expert moms that other mothers listen to. So we have invited them to this event. But to use the mom to use her kind of uh, space, her personal space to do it, we have oh, her. Yeah, it could be like a bread. It's kind of a, something like a, a mom's world party. So I can, I will host like a mom's world party. I'm getting all the free products. There's some discount. It's actually could be like a, a, it's kind of marketing plus sales. So I would have expected that it's, it's something very popular in the in the region. But it totally makes you know, sense. Let's, I think I think what's interesting is that because. And I'm talking about this outside Dubai. Dubai is a lot of expat yeah. people who don't know each other, who make families here like out of their neighbors and they need the connection. But if you look in the general Middle East, you know, we're not very individualistic as a society. We're very communal. People still visit their grandparents. People live near each other. Your sisters are somewhere near you. Your cousins, you probably have 25, 30 cousins. So that already happened. We just need to deliver the information in Arabic to that group of people. And the virality is there because we we live like that, you know. Yeah, but I think you so. can live better with a mum's world party brand on top. But it's like it's an uh, <laughs> outside of the box thinking thing. Who, who doesn't like a yeah. party? It's true. It's true. <laughs> so maybe coming to the last part of the of the of the podcast. So, um, what is your what is your view on the region like when it comes to uh when it comes to like the economical um, situation? Because like lots of like regions of the world are kind of struggling. Many people are looking into GCC region because it seems to be more more stable. Consumer behavior seems to be more stable because obviously it uh, um, there's a lot of like. Uh, uh, positive um, effects out of this ener energy prices uh, um, um, on a globe on a global level um, that are moving like in a positive way into the GCC region. But what is your three, five, ten year gut feeling outlook for 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 the region? Still a good place to make business here. So I mean, the the premise for me personally was to move back to London where I grew up. But I think as I see the amazing things that are happening in the UAE and in Saudi. I'm thinking who leaves the party right when it started, yeah? Okay. So I feel like this is, you know, the, the, the Sunday Times put an article out when the Atlantis Royale opened, and they said the biggest party is in Dubai and everybody wants to be invited. And it feels like that every day. We, are, we really do feel like we are at the center of the excitement. We are center, you know, as the UK is struggling, Europe is struggling, we are, we feel like we are at the center of that excitement. And if the governments work as hard as they're working, they're working incredibly hard to 
continuously bring innovation, bring newness, and improve the economy. If they continue to work this hard, I think this will continue the, to be the place to be. One, geographically, we're fantastically located. Two, it's a young, it's a young population, so we have the workforce. Yeah. So yeah, so it's that's most likely yeah. you, it's, you, you're going to speak at this seamless in, du, in Dubai, right? So we are all looking forward uh, uh, to, to it. So um, still, still day one when it comes to party. I think it's a good metaphor to translate from the Amazon universe. Still day one in in in, in retail. It's still day one uh, in in the region. What are the top top two things you're looking forward in 2023? Going to happen like for Mum's World? Like you you said, there's like one vertical you want to expand in. This is, I guess, this is one of the top things you're looking forward to. Yeah, so we'll be announcing imminently, I hope. So anything now, we'll make a big announcement, maybe before Seablet. Let's see but it's how like, we do. Because, but it um, says like so many ex exciting verticals left because you have home now and there's like such as so it's, it's kind of kids' cars or something. This is it's so, so new somehow? No, it's not new, but it's very aligned with what okay. we do. So um, let's keep keep the unknown for a little bit longer. Okay. Um What am I excited for in 2023? I'm excited for the opening up of some of the geographies that weren't available before. So I actually believe that a lot of the geographies that weren't available before in the region because of war, because of economic instability are going to open up. And we are very, very ready to make the most of that. Because, you know, I, I'm not, so I am a mix. So my father's Iraqi, my mom is Palestinian. I grew up in the UK and I really do believe in this. You, you create a solution for human beings, for mothers, and you basically deliver it wherever you can as quickly as you can. So you increase your impact as much as you can. And unfortunately, we're not able to do that as quickly as we would like. But I believe in 2023, the opportunity to do that will become, will be there. Nice. Then I guess I'm looking forward to meet you uh, on site at the Dubai event at, uh, during uh, during Seamless. Uh, Rewatching uh, and rereading what you what you said about like Mum's World. Thinking about the Mum's Mum's World party idea. I, I sent you some follow up ideas and thank you for your time in the Commerce Talks podcast. <music> 